right, grab your Bibles, go in Matthew chapter 7. Back to the Sermon on the Mount, the famous sermon that Jesus gave talking about kingdom ethics, about kingdom principles, who are the people of God, what are we about, what are we passionate about. A lot of it has to do with relationships, how do we relate with one another. And in the midst of chapter 7, as he's winding down this sermon, he's going to ask a poignant question that I hope if you give consideration to, will surface within you some of your motives. And then maybe correct some of the things that we have wrong. Here's chapter 7. Verse 1, Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, where there is when there is the log in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. This is a good text, yeah? This is a text that I think is often misunderstood because it begins with these two words, judge not. And this is something that often is thrown in the face of someone trying to make an evaluation or an assessment of our lives. We say, Jesus told you, you can't do that. Jesus prohibited anyone from making judgments. And this word judgment can have a wide range of meaning from legal judgments to simply Prefer, preferences about those things that you would say are, are pleasing to you. And so what is Jesus restricting here? Is he truly restricting anyone from judging, making an evaluation, being critical? Not in the sense of criticizing, but critically thinking through what is right and wrong, what is good and pleasing, what is beautiful. Is Jesus truly saying you can't make any of those assessments in your life? No, come on. We should be quick to answer that. Not at all. Jesus knows you live in a world where you're constantly having to make judgments. But in today's society, I think more so than ever it feels like, if you are to give any evaluation of someone's behavior, their actions, it immediately returns to you as though it's hate speech. As though you are abusing them. Is that at all what Jesus is talking about? No, in fact, I think this text is misused to keep people from speaking up. To keep you from speaking into the lives of your friends and families. Into the people that you love. Because it's misunderstood. Because he says, judge not. But what does he mean, judge not? Because there are so many ways in which the New Testament tells us we are to judge. Make evaluations. Think critically, evaluate others. Here's an example just from Matthew chapter 7. He's going to talk about not throwing what is sacred in front of dogs and pigs. So, I mean, you're going to have to judge who that is. We'll explore that in just a minute. He goes on in chapter 7, verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets, meaning bad teachers of God's word. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ravenous wolves. 
You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? That's a call to evaluate those people, including me right now, about how do they teach God's word. Are they like, are they like wolves dressed up like sheep that will devour you? And so make observations, judge how they are doing based on the fruit of their life. So there's a, there's a call for judgment right here in the same text. Here's a smattering of some others. Matthew 18, the same gospel. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If so someone has an offense against you, you're, you're called to judge that offense and bring it to their attention. Now, to them alone, it doesn't mean you post about it on Twitter. doesn't mean you send out a mass email. doesn't mean about you gossip in your friend's group. You go to them alone and you bring it to their attention. Because you're evaluating how they mistreated you being wrong. You're to judge. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? That's where we're going. You can judge the world. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than fitting, the more matters pertaining to this life. What was happening inside the church is people were bringing up civil lawsuits against each other in the courts. And Paul's saying, okay, do you not know that you're going to sit as positions of judges of the world and angels? Surely you can figure out how to judge between civil disputes of people inside the church. I mean, come on, open your eyes, open your ears, use your brain. You're, you're called to judge. Here's 1 John 4. The Apostle John says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Another call to test means to judge, to evaluate, to discern, to critically think about the messages you're receiving into your life. There are prophets that are telling you who you are as a human being. What life is about. We should evaluate those messages. We should discern if that's right or wrong. That's a call to making judgments, is it not? And so we are not called to simply reserve ourselves and never make an evaluation of something or someone or some circumstance. But we actually, this, the whole purpose of this is called to say, hey, you are to judge in this world. You're really bad at it though. You're really bad. If I could give a title to this sermon, I think Jesus is actually saying the title would be how to get better at judging others. That would be the title. Is you're going to have to evaluate things in your world. You're going to have to make assessments. You're bad at it. And so I want to help you for the sake of yourself and, here's the key, for others, for the flourishing of life with one another, how to become better at it. And so there are many ways in which we are restricted in our judgments. So there are plenty of texts that talk about the ways in which we pervert our judgments. We are showing favoritism. Here's a few examples of these. First and foremost, many people judge unmercifully. They're so unmerciful. They're ruthless in their judgments. This is Matthew chapter 9, same gospel. 
when the Pharisees, that's the religious leaders of the day, saw this. This is sinners hanging out with Jesus. When they saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Like, why are all the bad people hanging out with Jesus? It's unmerciful. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but to sinners. Do you know why I'm hanging out with these people? Because these are the people I'm calling to myself, that they would be forgiven. Not the people who think they have it all together. That's an unmerciful evaluation of what's happening. They're self-righteous judgments that are prohibited. In a similar vein, they're critiquing the disciples of Jesus in their activities on the Sabbath. And we weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath day. And this is part of their traditions. And here, this is Matthew chapter 12, 7. Jesus says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not, and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned, judged the guiltless. Like you are so self-assured. It's your own self-righteousness for the sake of your traditions that you are condemning people. That's prohibited. How about this? Superficially. We're prohibited from judging superficially. John chapter 7, verse 24. Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. There's a call to judge correctly, but not superficially. How many of us will make a judgment based on what somebody looks like? What they're wearing, where they're from, how they speak what they drive, where they live. That's so wrong. It's prohibited. And so here, it's prohibited to make superficial judgments. Then here's this text that prohibits you judging as a legalist. And it's a great example. It's from Romans chapter 14, where there's this argument of, is it more righteous to be able to eat Eat meat sacrificed to idols or abstain from meat sacrificed from idols. And both people think they have the upper hand on each other. And then they judge each other for it. This is Romans chapter 14, verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. So both people have their own legalistic view of if you were really following God, this is what it would look like about what you eat. And they judge each other for it. That's prohibited. Another way of, of judgments being prohibited is judgments that are premature, that we're too quick to judge. And so here in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted, meaning like he's investigated himself. He's looking at his own motives, his own hearts. He doesn't see anything corrupt. But, he says, it is the Lord who judges me. Like I know the Lord will evaluate me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each will receive his commendation from God. Like there is a, the time in which we are all judged before Jesus Christ. But he's saying, don't cast that judgment, condemn people, reserve them, put them off, put them into a category before the appointed time. Because what? 
they're still in process. I'm still in process. And so in your judgments, give room, give breathing room for people's story to unfold with God. Allow God to do his work in their whole life. And so don't be so quick to judge the human being at a particular moment in time. Don't be quick to judge prematurely. Wait for the Lord at the end of the age. Now those are all ways in which the New Testament restricts judgment. But particularly here in the text, what Jesus wants to address, and this is so important for Christians, is that we judge hypocritically. The judgment he's addressing here is the judgment that comes from hypocrisy. What does it mean to be a hypocrite? It means to be an actor. That's what a hypocrite was known for. That's what they were called. If they, play, they had a part in a play in the theater, they were just called a hypocrite. That's what a hypocrite is. It's an actor. And one of the big accusations against Christians is that we're acting, especially on Sunday morning. We're acting as though we love God. We're acting as though we're generous. We're acting as though we have a pure heart, pure motives. And then we live Monday through Saturday in a totally different way. And then when we make evaluations of life, what is good, what is beautiful, what is pleasing, people would say, you are a hypocrite. And so what Jesus is addressing is religious hypocrisy in which we have no self-evaluation. But we just simply throw the fingers out of who's right and wrong. It's a call to self-assessment. Now here in verse 2, it says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now in that, in that sentence, there's not a subject. Meaning, who is going to judge you with that measure? Now at first glance, you're like, well, it's talking about God. So the God who sees all things, the way I judge other people, he's going to judge me. But think about that for a second. So he's condemning in us, or he's correcting in us. A hypocritical judgment. So he says, if you're going to judge like a hypocrite, if you're going to judge poorly, if you're going to judge unjustly, well then I, as God, am going to judge you hypocritically and unjustly. Does that feel right? No. So who is going to judge you in the same way? Well, I think God's involved, absolutely. It's that God will permit those who you judge to judge you in the same way. And so if you're quick to judge, if you're a hypocrite to judge, guess how they're going to judge you in the same way. And so it becomes this endless, vicious cycle of blaming and assaulting one another and making much of each other's faults and never looking at their own. And God allows that to happen. Now, I think what's pointing it out is that it actually exposes that we're guilty. This is Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. You do the same thing that you're condemning in others, and so you have brought judgment on yourself. And I think that's where, yes, you will be judged that way. Is if you think that's wrong, and it's wrong in your life, well, then you'll be held accountable for that as well with God. But he asks this question in verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log 
that is in your own eye. Remember, he's, he's the master physician asking questions to us. Giving this question for us to consider that we might surface what's going on in our own heart. Why are you so quick? Why is it so easy? Why are you so focused on other people's faults and you pay no attention to your own? Why do you make much of other people's errors and minimize and excuse your own? Why is it that you assume the worst about them and the best about you? Here's some thoughts that I have. Try some of these on. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? I see their problems because I don't want to see mine. I don't want to pay attention to me. I just want to pay attention to you. I focus on yours to minimize mine. I know I have problems. I don't want to deal with them. But if we can get the attention on yours, then I can make them seem big and mine seem small. I love to point out other people's mistakes because then people don't notice mine. I see yours because I do the same thing. Like I, I know that I'm hiding these habits and I know the fruit of it, and I see it in your life. And so I want to bring attention to yours, to expose you, to condemn you, to shame you, embarrass you, make you feel small. I see your faults because I'm jealous of your life and want to bring you down a notch. You ever done that? Like there's someone that you really are jealous of in their life, what they have, what they get to experience. And so when they have a fault, man, let's point it out to everyone and just cut them down at the knees. Why are you so good at pointing out everybody's specs? It's a, it's a question to consider for you. Jesus wants you to think about that. Why do you not see the log in your eye? You have this big, huge plank coming out of your face. Why do you not see it? Are you that so unaware? How about these? Why do I not see the log in my own eye? Well, then I'll have to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. It's too much to deal with. It's too uncomfortable to deal with. I'll have to apologize. Like, like this sin in my life has caused so many problems in others and I'd have to go humbly apologize and ask people to forgive me. I'm not interested in doing that. There are consequences to this plank in my eye. No one knows about this yet. And if I make it public, well, there will be consequences. I'll be held accountable for decisions that I've made. And so I'm not going to own up to it because I'm not, I'm not courageous enough to own up to the consequences. I point out my brother's. So others will focus on them and not on me. That's why I don't pay attention to the plank in my eye. How about this one? Why don't you see the log in your own eye? Well, I feel better about myself when I point out your faults. I don't feel so great about myself. I know all the things in my life, but I don't like to think about that. I like to think about yours. And I actually feel better when I think about how messed up you are. How messed up is that? 
I think these are, this is a question that is worthy to consider. Husbands, why are you so quick to see the fault in your wife's life and not look in the mirror? Wives, why are you so quick to see the faults in your husband's life and not your own? Parents, how about your kid's life and not your own? Friends, co-workers, neighbors, why are we so quick to do this? That's the next question. Why is it that we see this? The big idea here that I think Jesus is trying to get across is our sin should look much bigger to us than other people's sin. Our sin should look like a plank to us and other people should look like a speck. I don't know if you've ever heard this taught before and the parallel is it's a small thing in their life and it's a big thing in your life. I don't think that's Jesus' teaching here. The reason it looks like a plank is because it's coming out of your eye. And so a speck in my eye feels like a plank. It looks like a plank. But I can't really tell what's going on in your eye. And so the point is, our sin and our mistake, we begin with ourselves. And in our eye, in our vision, it should look huge. And other people's should look small. Because we're paying attention to our own, not others. And so he goes on. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Now remember, the purpose of this is to help your brother. He doesn't fault them for wanting to help their brother with a speck in their eye. You ever had something in your eye? It's awful. It's terrible. We want to have the thing in our eye removed. What happens, what happens when there's something in your eye? It impairs our vision. It distorts our vision. We can't see clearly. Now if you can't see clearly, can you help someone deal with the speck in their eye? Not at all. If you can't see clearly, can you make right judgments? No. If your vision is distorted and impaired, can you make healthy evaluations? No. So what Jesus is going to get after is you want to deal with this in your life so that what's restored to you is a right vision of things so that you might help out another. So let me take the speck out of, sorry, let me first take out the log of my own eye. Logs in our own eye impair our vision and impedes our ability to help. And so he simply says, you hypocrite. These are the people that pretend like they have nothing going wrong in their life, that they've done no wrong, that they are so much better than other people, they condemn other people, they put other people down. And so he says, you hypocrite. This is, this is the call. It's not, to make any, it's not to say don't make any evaluations. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says, you hypocrite, you're, you're playing the part as a follower of Jesus, but you're not truly behaving like one. So you hypocrite, you actor, first Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So what's the purpose of taking a log out? It's to be like, well, I don't judge anybody ever. They make no evaluations. Yeah, no, your life is fine. Don't even ask me any questions. I won't even speak into your life. Not at all. The purpose of removing and addressing my eye problem is that I might be helpful 
in addressing yours. And the reason that you need to take your sin seriously is so that you can help me see the things that I'm blind to in my life. I need you to, crit to critically evaluate my life at times. And so the big idea is our own speck should look like a plank. Having a plank is actually having a speck in your own eye. And we are to deal with it so that our vision is restored. And that we can see things clearly. Now, how do you remove a plank from your eye? That's the question. Like, we all have faults. We all have failures. We have shortcomings. How do you remove them? Well, the Apostle John gives us the remedy. This is 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, if that's what we say, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That's having a blind spot. You're fooling yourself. You're kidding yourself. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So how do you remove the plank in your own eye? It's through the constant practice of confession and repentance. This is a habit that I am in throughout the day, every day, is confession and repentance. This is not something you did one time back in 1953, then you were baptized, and then you never confessed and repented again. No, this is the spiritual habit and practice of the believer. It's to be looking in the mirror and then to look to God and say, Lord, would you forgive me again? Lord, I confess to you these thoughts. I confess to you how I've behaved. I confess to you my heart condition. Would you forgive me? And he says that he will not only forgive you, but he will what? Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That means he's going to wash out your eyes so that you can see clearly. Now, are you going to get another speck in your eye? Yeah, it's only like 1030 right now. And then when it happens again, you say, Lord, I, I confess. This is the practice of a follower of Jesus. Quick to confess. I'm, I'm wrong. Would you forgive me? From time to time, I've made this comment in this room. I'm the biggest sinner here. And from time to time, someone will come up to me afterwards and say, tell me what you did. <laughs> I say, you know, I, I've done a lot. But you don't get it. It's like I know my heart condition. I know how deep and entangled all of it is. I know that the good I do at times is corrupted. That I want to pretend to be somebody that I'm not. And so what Jesus is asking us all to do is not to never evaluate or offer a critique of someone or to bring an evaluation to someone. No, he's saying, hey, you need to do that. Your brother and sister needs you in their life to help clear up their vision. But the only way you can do that is by first beginning with yours. And the way that we do that is through confession and repentance. And I think this is the practice of embodying the kingdom ethic in which we're becoming the people that look like Christ, that we belong to Christ, a totally different breed than the world around us. Jesus talks about the kingdom ethic in the very part of this sermon. 
And I think through the practice of confession and repentance, addressing our sin regularly, often, and quickly first, we begin to look like people of the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They know their own poverty. They know their own shortcomings. Blessed are those who mourn. We understand our own sorrows and griefs. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what is right. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is what we begin to look like as we go around helping brothers and sisters, those that we love, deal with the hardships and, and shortcomings in their own life. And so when we address a brother and a sister now and we say, hey, I, I've, I've kind of observed something for a little bit of time, maybe a habit, maybe something that you're doing and I want to bring it to your attention, and they fire back at you, well, you're one to judge. You say, I, I know. Yeah, I, I totally get it. I've, I've, I've been doing that too. I've have done that in my life. I've made those same decisions and I experience it in my eye. And I just keep coming back to the Lord. Lord, would you forgive me? And would you wash out my eyes? I, mean, I, I totally get it. If you had to be perfect to address this in your life, I'm not. But I am penitent and I come to you humbly with gentleness to help you with the speck that's clouding your vision in your life. You see the difference? You feel the difference? This is all about relationship with one another and how we help each other deal with the things in our life. And the way in which we do it, unlike the hypocritical, pharisaical, religious leaders that are pretenders, is we take our faults seriously. We address them quickly. We're consistently coming to the Lord through confession and repentance. Now, what about people that you, want, that you love, that you come to and address something in their life, and they want nothing of it? They don't want to hear anything of it. Well, I think that's the end here in verse 6. He says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. In the first century, dogs aren't simply this domesticated, sweet little animal in your, in your family, in your life. But they are in the household. We've seen them in many of Jesus' own experiences where he's addressing dogs as present but not members of the family. Pigs and swine were regularly attributed to Gentiles, those outside the family of faith. And because Jews didn't eat pork. And so pigs and swine and dogs are those who are outside the family. It's not a character assassination of them. It's a description. And what Jesus is saying is that there are those who have different appetites. So what does a dog love to do? They chew things up, right? And after they've chewed through all of your shoes and your couch, what do you do? You put up gates. You're like, I'm going to put a gate up. They can't come upstairs now. You know, or, you, or, or they have to change. They have to have different appetites. What do, what do pigs, what is, their, what is their appetite? Is their stomach. And so what he's saying is there are people that don't have the appetite for sacred, holy things. 
Where were the pearls? Well, pearls are, are described in the parables as the holy things of God, the, the, the gospel story, the ways of God. And so when you come to somebody and you say, man, I want, let's talk about the ways of God, even if you come humbly to them and they say, you just turn that away. Don't even talk to me about that. I don't want, I don't want to hear that ever again. Jesus says, pay attention to their appetites. They don't have an appetite for these things. And so he, would hold, he holds us accountable of how we handle God's truth, his ways and his, his word in other people's lives. And if they have no appetite for these things that are holy and sacred and beautiful, don't ram it down their throat. Don't keep throwing it at them. Because after they realize this doesn't satisfy their appetite, they will what? Devour you, he says, and trample on your life. And this is what you can see. Many Christians are trying to ram down the gospel story in people's lives. And they don't have an appetite for it. So what do I do? I quickly, 10 to 1, begin to pray for them. Because, Lord, the ways of God are the best ways. And I love these people. Would you awaken a new appetite in their life? And then I'm going to pay attention. I'm going I'm to be constantly confessing and repenting. And if I see appetite in their life increasing, I'll give them more. But 10 to 1, I begin to pray to, that God would do a work that only God can do, which is begin to change their appetites. But imagine, imagine, just put your, head, put your minds to this. If we became a people who live in the front range that were so quick to evaluate ourselves first. And with humility and gentleness, we then help our brothers and sisters in areas that we notice are clouding their vision as well. Wouldn't that be wonderful? The only way we can do this, the only way, is by the work of Jesus Christ. The only way that we get to remove any speck in our life or another's is because Jesus Christ came and died and washed out of our life all of our sin. And so we're going to close by singing, nothing but the blood. This is the only way that any of us have our vision restored, is the work of Jesus Christ. So Father, we thank you for your teaching. We pray that it would produce in us a humility and a gentleness with others. We pray that as we consider why we're so quick to judge each other's faults and not our own, Lord, would you convict us? Would you show why we are in the wrong, how we have missed the mark, so that we would come to you and you would wash our eyes out? Father, we ask that you would mature us as a church that we would have hearts like Jesus Christ who did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through his work on the cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen.